0: Hello and welcome to PW KidsCast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm John Sellers, the children's reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. Today, I'm speaking with Kathy Lowinger, the author of two books for young readers, as well as the former publisher of Tundra Books. Lowinger's first book, Shifting Sands: Life in the Time of Moses, Jesus, and Muhammad, was published in 2014 and told the stories of children living at the same time as three critical religious figures. This fall, she follows that book with a work of nonfiction, Give Me Wings, How a Choir of Former Slaves Took on the World. It's being published in September by Anik Press, which is sponsoring this podcast. In Give Me Wings, Lowinger traces the life of Ella Shepard, who was born a slave in Tennessee and went on to teach music at the Fisk Free Colored School in Nashville and helped found the Jubilee Singers, a traveling choir that was formed to help raise funds to keep the school afloat. As Lowinger unspools Ella's story, readers also learn about abolitionism, the Civil War, the formation of hate groups like the KKK, and many key 19th century figures. Thank you for speaking with me, Kathy.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: So how did you originally find your way to uh, to Ella Shepard and the story of the Jubilee Singers?
1: Well, i would always been interested in spirituals. At home, when I was growing up, we had records by Mahalia Jackson and Marian Anderson and Paul Robeson, and... Um, my parents were were incredible fans of this kind of music. A sort of surprising for my father, who was a cantor in an Orthodox synagogue, but he considered this to be one of the highest forms of music that there is. So I came by the interest naturally. And then many years ago, I heard about the Jubilee Singers and saw a documentary about them and what really fascinated me was not only their story, but the age of the singers. The youngest was Minnie Tate, who was 13 years old when she started. And Ella Shepherd herself was only 18 when she became choir master. So I thought it makes an incredible story all the more amazing.
0: And now there's many ways you, you might have approached the story. It could have been a, a picture book biography about Ella or maybe a fictional you know, YA novel based on her life. How and why did you end up deciding, I'm going to do this as a, as a work of sort of middle grade uh, nonfiction?
1: There was so much background information that I thought was important for people to understand to really get a grip on what a noble figure Ella was and how much bravery it took to do the things that she and the other singers did that I really wanted to do this as nonfiction. And there were so many pieces of information that wouldn't have fit into a novelization comfortably. For instance, I have a tiny little bit about Stephen Foster because Ella loved to sing his songs. You can't just make a reference to him. There has to be a bit of information about him.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, is, um, is Ella's life uh, fairly well documented? Is there a lot of information you were able to, to pull from?
1: Ella wrote incredible diaries and letters. So all the words in the book um, that are ascribed to her were, in fact, her words. I didn't want to put any words in Ella's mouth or in anybody else's mouth. And that was another issue about doing this as fiction. So I didn't want to appropriate anybody's voice. I didn't want to give these people who I'd come to know Language and words myself. So I really tried to stick with what they had said themselves. But luckily, she was a devoted diarist. So we do have a lot of information about her.
0: And um, aside from those diaries, uh, what other resources did you find that you needed to to pull from, especially if you wanted to get information about the singers or some of the other, uh, I guess, context of the era?
1: I used a lot of references. One whole category were books that I'd published in the past myself. When I was at Tundra Books, I published a, a terrific book by Marjorie Gann and her sister, Janet Willen, called 5,000 Years of Slavery. And that, for me in my publishing career, was a, a real eye-opener and um, a real watershed for me. And my own editor, uh, Gina Gorell, is herself a great writer. And many years ago, she wrote a book called North Star to Freedom, The Story of the Underground Railroad, which followed the Underground Railroad into Canada, and it wasn't as if people's lives stopped once they crossed the border. That was a huge story waiting to be told. And again, having worked on that book, those gave me some background. But I found a couple of books that have been written lately, one particularly by Andrew Ward called Dark Midnight When I Rise, The Story of the Jubilee Singers, who Introduce the world to the music of Black America. Um, b- very helpful resource.
0: Well, some excellent foresight on your part, publishing books that would later be perfect for your own books. Uh, <laughs> yes, who knew? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as you mentioned uh, before, you know the spirituals and the songs that uh, that slaves often sung. You know, they, they play a, a major role um, in this book, certainly. And you you actually included uh, the lyrics to, to several of them. Uh, was it hard to uh, choose, especially given you know your own oh, familiarity? Yes.
1: Yes, it was. It was very hard to choose um, for a whole host of reasons. These are, um, the songs have a power that doesn't really have to do with the lyrics. It's more about the context. So the lyrics themselves can seem very simple and very straightforward. The songs were meant to be shared, to be learned quickly and to be sung together. It was difficult to find songs where the lyrics really conveyed that sense of emotion to people that might never have heard the melodies.
0: Mm -hmm. I feel like also in the book you get the sense of just how important these songs were on multiple levels and really at multiple points in time, you know, oh, yes. when there, at one, you know, at one point there are sort of a, a source of solidarity for, for slaves. Um, they become a way to encode messages that allowed some to escape. And then later, you know, much later for the choir themselves, I feel like their, their own fortunes sort, sort of changed, uh, in part when they sort of embraced those songs themselves.
1: Oh, no question. This is what saved the school. They were not, a success as choir, although they sang beautifully, until they introduced spirituals. The first one they sang was when they sang at Oberlin, and it brought everybody to tears. There were people who'd never heard such music before, and if they'd heard it, they hadn't really listened to it, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But um, that is what really gave them a future, and it paved the way for a lot of American music that has followed it right down to the present day.
0: Mm. So as you were uh, researching and writing the book, um, were there any particular episodes in Ella's life or other stories that you sort of discovered that really surprised or have stuck with you?
1: Oh, there were so many. One of them that I found particularly touching wasn't Ella so much as um, a phenomenon that happened after the war. And that was that people who'd been freed, who often had almost no money, were Starving or close to starving, advertised in newspapers to find people from whom they'd been separated, their parents or their children, and that they might have been separated for decades from one another. And the first thing they wanted to do was to re- reconnect. And it was almost impossible for them. People couldn't read. Taking out ads in newspapers was incredibly expensive. People's names were changed often randomly by their owners over the years and sort of when when the wheels stopped turning and people just got a permanent name it could have been anything so making those connections was almost impossible yet people didn't didn't give up on doing it and that really broke my heart
0: yeah along with along with the music one thing i was struck by with the book is there's a real sense of sort of just The ongoing and long struggle, you know, even after the Civil War, you know, Ella and her colleagues at the school and the students, you know, they had so much trouble, you know, even as they were traveling with the choir to cities that they thought would be receptive. Did you want to emphasize or know that it was important to show just how long after the Civil War ended, you know, that things remained difficult for, you know, so much longer after?
1: Oh, that was a very important part of this one of the things that I tried to do in the book was to show that there were many, many shades of grey and many it wasn't um, war versus peace, black versus white. Things aren't clear cut. History is messy and, and bleeds over. The war didn't just end. People were not just accepted. So accepting that ambiguity is a really critical part of approaching any kind of history. So that was very important to me.
0: This is the, the second book you've written, uh, correct?
1: Well, I've written other books in my past. I think um, virtually every publisher mm. uh, has written books mm-hmm. where you've had a great idea, you haven't been able to find an author, or the book comes in in ways that are just not going to work. So I've written a great deal over the years. But this is the first time, um, or this, I guess the second time, that my name is on something.
0: And uh, you know, having worked for for years, I guess, as an editor and a publisher, do you? find yourself editing your own work as a writer? Um, no. You, no? Okay.
1: <laughs> no. Oh, gosh, no. Absolutely not. It's so difficult. If you do that, you end up rewriting the first chapter a hundred times. Mm. And a very wise editor who became an author, and whose name, unfortunately, I cannot remember, once said to me that the important thing was to just write it down, write the whole thing down, period. And then go back because otherwise if you approach it as an editor, you will fret over the first page for the rest of your life. And I've, I easily could have done that.
0: Well, with this and the previous book that uh, also has your name on it, um, are both stories drawn from you know, history of different periods. Why do you think uh, you've sort of gravitated toward that um, with your most recent books?
1: That's what I've always loved myself. I was a child who loved, for instance – And this is going to sound terrible. I love Tarzan movies for the glimpses I got of people who were living different ways of life. And I wasn't interested in people making war on Tarzan and his buddies when they came from England. Um, I was interested in what languages they might speak, what they ate and so on and in fact my first my first life was as an anthropologist i went uh, to graduate school i did field work in antigua and how people live and how they create societies has always been something that has been a primary interest
0: to me so do you, do you miss your work in the publishing world at all, or are you uh, sort of enjoying this no. <laughs> you know, quote-unquote retired life as an author? Yes.
1: No, publishing has changed so radically. As you can probably tell with my um, difficulty with Skype <laughs> and learning how to, to use it, you can imagine that publishing in a new technological age is not something that's very comfortable for me. And the whole business has changed enormously. I had terrific experiences. I worked with some fantastic companies and met some of the the most brilliant authors that I can imagine and loved every minute of it. But the world has changed, and now it's time for younger people with new visions to take it on.
0: And are are there more uh, books in your future? Is there anything you're you're working on now?
1: Oh, yes. I'm working on another nonfiction book for Annick, and I'm also working on a novel that's set in 1414. And the novel keeps being pushed to the back because as I found with all the writing I've done, you can do research that you love. You can read terrific books about all kinds of interesting subjects and tell yourself that you're working. And you could do that for years before you actually start writing. So that's what's happened with my novel. It's been in the writing now for five years and I've been researching the characters on whom it's based for all that time. And I really do need to get myself Working on it.
0: Well, congratulations again on the new book, and uh, thanks for speaking with me.
1: Thank you so much. Hope everyone enjoys the book.
0: Once again, I've been speaking with Kathy Lowinger, whose book "Give Me Wings: How a Choir of Former Slaves Took on the World" is out in September from Anik Press. Thank you for listening to PW KidsCast.